This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Drowning in Life, and it comes from Psalms 3. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. Also, you can tweet us or follow us on Twitter at Radio Bible Class with no spaces or me personally at T Carter 12 and this radio station at WMER Worldwide, no spaces. Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people listening in our area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information over the phone or send us your gift by mailing it to Word Talking, P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Today we pick back up in Psalms 3. Before I start into our lesson, I'd like to tell you about a story I heard one time. There was this daughter that was ready to give up. She felt like she could do nothing right. She felt like that she had fallen out of God's favor. Anyhow, this daughter went to her mother and she told her about the situation she was in and how she was ready to give up. Well, the mother didn't say anything to her. She took her to the kitchen. She set her down at the table. She got out three pots. She put water in all three pots. Then she put carrots in one pot. She put eggs in the other pot. And she put coffee in the last pot. Now, she let all three of these simmer for about 20 minutes. And when that was over, she scooped out the carrots and she put them on a plate. She scooped out the eggs and she put them on a plate. And then she took the coffee and she poured it into two cups. At that point, she looked over at her daughter and she said, Come here and tell me what you see. And her daughter said, Well, I see carrots, I see eggs, and I see coffee. So the mother told her, Fill the carrots. And they were soft. Then she said, Peel the egg. So she tapped it on the counter and she broke the shell off and she peeled it. Finally, the mother handed her that cup of coffee. They both walked over to the table and sat down. The daughter looked at her and said, Mom, what does this mean? She said, well, honey, each of these things face the same adversity. She said, but look at how they responded. The carrots went in hard and now they're limp. The eggs went in fragile and now they're hard. And the coffee went in the water and it released flavor to the water. Then the mom stopped and asked the hard question to her daughter. She said, which one are you? When God allows trouble to come into your life, are you like the carrots? Do you go limp? Are you like the eggs after they've been boiled? Do you get all hard on the outside and you're protected and you don't let anything in? Or do you use that adversity to release your flavor into the world, to release the aroma that makes everybody want to come around? This story is very similar to the one we're going to look at today. David went through a lot of trials in his life. But the one thing that you could say about David is that he left the fragrance of his faith every time he went through adversity. Psalms 3 is really about 2 Samuel 13 through 18. 
And really, more importantly, it's 15 through 18. It's about Absalom, his son, who mounts a overthrow against King David. Now, if you remember back in 2 Samuel 13 and 14, Absalom had this beautiful sister, and her name was Tamar. And she was so beautiful. Well, Amnon was just in love with her, and he wanted to be with her. So he let one of his friends talk him in to acting sick and have her come fix a meal for him. And while she was in his quarters by himself, he raped her. Then he wanted nothing to do with her. Absalom found out and he was furious. So he tricks David. He says a couple of years later, let your sons come and come to the feast I'm having with the sheep herding. And back in those days when you herd sheep and you would cut the wool off of them, there was also a time that they would have a big feast around it. Anyhow, David allows all his sons to go down there for this big feast. And then at that point, when Amnon gets drunk, Absalom murders him. Well, it gets back to David. David tears his clothes. He finds out later it was only Amnon, but he is furious with Absalom. As a matter of fact, for three years, he won't have anything to do with him, and Absalom has to live off on his own. After those three years, Joab arranges for Absalom to come back. And, and once he does, two more years go by. And again, Absalom, does, even though he's living in the same city with David, he doesn't get to see the king. And finally, he tells Joab that, why did he let me come back if I can't see him? So, so Joab is able to get David to allow Absalom to come back. And Absalom kneels at his feet and he kisses his hand. And really, that's where this picks up. Now in chapter 15, what happens is Absalom buys his chariot and horses. He hires these bodyguards and they would run out ahead of him. And every morning he'd get up early and he'd go out to the city gates. And there he would wait. And when people would come in to see the king to get judgment, Absalom would ask them where they're from inside of Israel. And they would tell him their tribe. And then Absalom would say, well, you've really got a strong case here with what you want to go to the king. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were to judge. And everyone would bring their case to me for judgment, and I would give them fair justice. After he would tell them their judgment, they would try to kiss him, or they would try to bow before him. He wouldn't let them. Matter of fact, he would take their hand, and he would kiss it. Absalom did this with everyone to the point where the whole nation of Israel had their hearts stolen for Absalom. Now, after four years, Absalom tells David that he wants to go to Hebron and offer a sacrifice. And he says, I want to fulfill a vow that I made to God. And so David allows him to go. Now, while in Hebron, he stirs up this rebellion against King David. And once he blows the horn, he has about 200 men that join him. That's, they don't know really what's going on, but more and more people follow him and they go after David. And David is, at that point, has to flee from Jerusalem. Absalom has created this coup and it's worked. David has to flee and he's on his, uh, running for his life. Through this trial, the one thing that you can see through this story or through these chapters in 2 Samuel is that David, and even other trials even, while he was being running for his life from, from Saul, David went through lots of trials in life, but he was always able to praise and worship God through the storm. He would praise God in the storm. We will never know probably what it was like to be David and have to run for our lives. I hope you never in that situation. But I will tell you that we will all go through trials in life. We will all face adversity. And what we need to learn is how to praise God in the storm. And that's what David did. 
Now, if you look at the Psalms, Psalms 3 through about Psalm 7, these are called adversity Psalms. And we'll look at those over the next several weeks. But they're all about different stages. They sound similar, but they were different stages in David's life. And we see that no matter what he was in, he was able to worship God. Even though these Psalms may sound similar, they're different. And they give us different ways that we can praise God. And that's what psalm really means in Hebrews. It means praise God. And we covered that back in Psalm 1. If you don't learn anything else today, I hope you learn this one fact, that God wants us to always praise him. He wants us to praise him when it's good. That's kind of easy to do sometimes. But he also wants us to praise him in the storm. He wants us to praise him and let him have the glory. Walk and give it to him. Lay the, our problems down at his feet. So let's dive into Psalms 3. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 first. And I'll be reading from the ESV. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Selah. Look how David starts out. He says in verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? And he's not asking a question. He has just ran out of Jerusalem because Absalom has all these men and they're coming in to kill him. His very own flesh and blood is ready to kill him so he can be king. David is in a great deal of trouble. His own son has led what is really a successful rebellion against him. And even many of his friends and his associates have forsaken him now and they've joined the rank with Absalom. So David writes, O oh Lord, how many are my foes? When we face adversity, think about it. We sometimes get confused. We sit there. We lay in bed. We think about it. We try to figure everything out. We replay everything. David wants us to see that during this time that we can be confused. We don't have a clear picture of what God is and who he is. And we start looking at it through our own eyes. And he says, look how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Can you hear the panic? I can hear it. Many are rising against me. And then he goes even on in his confusion. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. In man's eyes, things are so bad that they feel like it's beyond God's help. How many times have we been there? How many times have we let the problem get bigger than God? And then you have the other people that don't say that it's bigger than God, but they say that God doesn't want to help you. It's because of a past sin. It's sins from your previous generation. It's sin from what you've done before. And so there are probably people there as well in David's time. And they're thinking about Bathsheba. And they're thinking about the sin that he did there. And they think, well, he deserves this from God. So what we see right here is David's trouble and we see how the people around him and even David sees that there is a army rising against him. We see David's trouble and how he looks immediately at first through his own eyes, the confusion. But look at God's response, because I want you to see that. Look back at verse 3 and 4 with me. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. Now, David panicked at first, but here we start to see that he remembers who God is. And there's a couple of things I want you to catch while we go through these trials in life. First, David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. What we need to remember is as we go through these trials that God is right there with us. Jesus is right there with us. 
Matter of fact, it says that right here. Look how it ends. You are a shield about me. The key word there is about me. That means you're right there. A lot of times as we're learning how to handle trials, we think about Ephesians 6 and taking up the shield of faith and how that protects us from those fiery darts that the devil throws at us. But right here, David expands the view of that. I think it's beautiful. He says, you are a shield about me. What David is saying is that not only are you protecting the front of me, but you also have my back. You have me covered, shielded around me. You are about me. You have me fully covered. So as we go through these trials of life, we need to understand that not only do we have God and Jesus right there protecting us with the shield of faith, but he's also got our back. No matter what we're going through, he's right there with us. The other thing I want you to see right here in verse 3, look back at it with me. He says, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. When we are going through trials, sometimes our body language tells us, it tells the world what we're going through. And he says right here, you are a lifter of my head. When we're in those trials, our shoulders kind of shrug, our face kind of droops. We feel the weight of the world on us. And to make it even worse, there's nothing that seems to be able to lift us back up. But when we turn to God, when we let Jesus be that shield for us, when we understand that he has our front and our back, he is the lifter of our head. He helps us stand tall. He allows us to have the strength to take on that trial. We don't have to slump. We don't have to fall. We don't have to look like the world has won. We can stand tall. We can allow him to lift our head. And march forward. Think about how personal that is. It's one thing to protect us, and, and I'm not trying to belittle that, but think how personal it is that God knows what you're going through, when you're going through it, and he's there, and he knows what it takes to allow you to stand tall, to lift your head. Just this week, I got a surprise phone call from a good friend, a good friend in faith. I've taken a new role inside of Cisco, and I'll tell you, the change is hard. It seems like every time I turn left and right and do what I think the Lord wants me to do, the door that he opened for me that I went through, I got hit by a two-by-four. Seems like I could do nothing right. But I got a phone call this week, out of the blue, from a friend at work, and he said, hey, I heard about your new position. I want you to know, I know you're going to be a success. Don't let the trials and the troubles that are going to come your way because of the change don't let the things that you don't know about get you down. See, the Lord knew I needed to hear that voice. And it was, it was what I needed to lift my head. Now look what he says in verse 4. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. How many times have you cried out to God? Maybe you were in a place where nobody could hear you, and you cried out because you didn't want anybody to know, and God heard it. That utter voice that you gave him, God heard it. To those doubters who said that God doesn't want anything to do with David because of his previous sin, he tells them, he has heard me. God heard me. Absalom took over Jerusalem, and he gave me a reason to run out of town and to be worried, yet God heard me when I called out to him. See, David knew that Absalom wasn't the one who's supposed to be on the throne on God's holy hill right there in Jerusalem. David remembers the anointing that he was given by Samuel. 
and yet there's been no anointing for Absalom. And he turns to his strength, the one that has made the promise, the one that cannot lie. And he cries out to him and he says, he heard me from his holy hill. So in verse 1 and 2, we saw David's troubles and what people thought about his troubles. Then we saw the response that God had to David's cry out to him. And now we see how God blesses David in verse 5 and 6. And then we see how David turned around and blesses God in verse 7 and 8. So look with me at verse 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David says that God allowed him to sleep, lay down and sleep, and then he woke up. David uses this as evidence of God's blessings to him. David was under a tense pressure. He's worried about being killed. Anybody else would not be able to sleep. That would be impossible. Think about the times that you've been under so much stress where you can't sleep. But David says he slept. You know why? Because he took his problem, he cried out to God, and he gave it to God. He put it as his feet. And then he said, God, I need you to handle this. I can't do it. I need you to do it. I think about, again, this week and the stress that I was going through and how many times that I would wake up at night because I couldn't really sleep good and comfortable. I didn't sleep all the way through. And I would lay there and I would rethink about the things that had happened that day and the challenges and the people that seemed to just come against me out of the blue that I'd never seen before. And I bet each and every one of you can tell me about a time that you were so stressed. Maybe it was that you didn't have enough money to pay rent that next month. Maybe it wasn't you didn't have enough money to make a car payment. Maybe it was that you had the doctors that called you and they told you something you didn't want to hear. Maybe it's your spouse told you that they no longer loved you and they wanted to leave. There was so much stress, whatever it is, that you can't sleep at night. And David says, I cried out to God. I gave it to him, and I laid down and I slept, and I awoke refreshed. Doctors will tell you that sleep deprivation will make you see things and do things you wouldn't normally do. The lack of sleep hurts us physically, and it also hurts us mentally. And David is being attacked by a son, a son that he loves because he let him come back even after he was so mad that he killed one of his other sons. And here we see that he was able to rest by putting it at God's feet. Paul knew about this. He knew about crying out to God. Listen to what he wrote in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says... Do everything through prayer. Cry out to him. Cry out. Give thanks to him. Praise him. Let God know. God already knows, but God wants you to ask. You do not receive not because you ask not. And Paul is saying, cry out to him. Just like David said, I cried out to him on his holy hill, and he heard me, and he gave me rest. If you are not sleeping because you're going through something in life right now, it's not God's fault. It's because you aren't doing what Paul says right here. You are not casting your cares upon him. You're not doing everything through prayer. Therefore, you do not have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that guards your heart and your mind in Christ, that peace that allows you to sleep. 
It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Quit trying to solve this in your own strength and solve it by giving it to God. And now look at the benefit from it. Look back at verse 6. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people. What David is saying here is that I know who God is. I know how powerful God is. I know how big God is. And guess what? He's bigger than these thousands of people. And just like he was able to allow me to sleep, now I know whatever I have, he can take care of it. He's bigger than anything that is around me. David says, not only did I sleep, but God also took the fear from me. The worry, the anxiety from the problem is gone. I no longer am worried about the many thousand. I'm no longer afraid of the many thousand. I can remember another story that I think is fitting for this lesson right here. There's this plumber. He's working on a home. And as he gets ready to leave, he's worked there all day. He goes out to his truck. His truck has a flat tire. He gets in. He gets the, the tire changed. Then he tries to crank it. It won't crank. Finally, the lady says, look, let, just let me take you to your house. I'll come get you in the morning. When you're fresh, you'll be able to make the truck start. You can take it to the shop. Just let me help you out. So what he does, he gets in the lady's car. He lets her take him home. And as they're driving out there, he's over leaning against the door and he's stewing and she can hear him huffing and puffing because he's frustrated at the trouble that this truck has given him. After this lady had been so nice to him, and they get to his house. He says, hey, come in and at least let me introduce you to my family. And so she agrees to do that. As they're walking in, he goes right by this tree and he reaches up and he jumps up and he grabs this limb. And then he lets go of the limb. And it's like a different person. As soon as he lets go of the, of the limb, he goes in the house and he's just this loving person and he's hugging his kids. And you'd never know how huffing and puffing and frustrated he was about that truck. He introduces her to his family, and then, of course, she has to leave. He says, okay, look, I'll take you back out to the car. And so as they're walking out to the car, she, she has to ask him. She says, look, you were so frustrated. You were being so ornery about this truck and all the problems you had. But you grabbed that tree, and after grabbing that tree, you were like a different person. He said, oh, yeah, that's my problem tree. This truck gives me trouble all the time. I don't know why I haven't bought a new truck, I guess because I really can't afford one but it's not fair to my family. So that's my problem tree. When I get home, I go and I take my problems and I put it up there on that limb. That's why I jumped up there. I put the problems up there and then I go inside and the problems are out in the tree. Now, when I get ready to leave the next day, I go back out and I take the problems and then I go with that. And he says to her, but you know what? I do go get the problems out of the tree, but what I've found is that when I go get the problems after I've slept and had my time with my family, those problems aren't as big as they were when I put them up there. What we can learn from that story right there is that maybe you need a tree just like this plumber had. But when we give our problems to Jesus, when we give our problems to him, first of all, we can have a good night's rest. We can sleep. We can wake up refreshed and rejuvenated just like uh, David says right here. But not only that, we wake up and the next day, you know what, our perspective on those problems change. They're not quite as big as they used to be. If we've truly given them to God and we understand who he is, then just like that plumber, those problems aren't as big as they were when we first faced them. So we see how God blessed David, that he was able to sleep and that he had no more fear. But now look how David blesses God. He gives him the credit. Look with me at verse 7. 
He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Selah. David gives God the credit. He says, Arise, O Lord, for you have struck all my enemies. See, David understands that God is going to take care of this. You're going to strike my enemy right in the teeth. I can think about growing up, people would try to hit you right in the nose or the mouth. David paints an image right here of God striking his enemies, broke the teeth of the ungodly. What David is saying here is that not only was God his protection, but he's more than his protection. He was going to give him victory. David was going to survive the threat that was coming to his kingdom. We know that Absalom eventually dies and David comes back to rule again. He would be victorious over that threat and he gives God the credit for it and he gives God all the blessings for it. David finishes up with, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. David knew where his strength comes from. Do you know where your strength comes from? He says, your blessing is upon your people. This really shows the heart of David and the personal peace that he had and the faith that he had that he walked in. I hope one day that it'll be said that I could walk in that faith like David did. Yes, David sinned, and we all do. But David knew where his strength came from. He knew who would lift his head. He knew who was surrounding him and who had his back. I'm just about out of time, so let me close with this final thought. Have you ever felt like the world is against you and nothing is going right? Maybe you've had a bad day. You can't make anybody happy. Maybe you have a group of people that seem to be grouping up against you. Maybe you had a doctor that told you some bad news. Maybe you had a spouse that has told you they no longer want to be married or they no longer love you. David knew exactly what you're going through. Here in Psalms 3, David has to face his son Absalom as he takes over. And he prays a prayer and he expresses all the woes that he faced. He expresses how the nation has turned against him and everyone is now talking about him. What well, we've got to make sure we understand that David wasn't complaining to God. There was a lot of truth in what he said. Everybody was against him. The folks that loved him, the folks that were for him were now against him. The question is, what do you do when people are mad at you? When you're not completely innocent in that matter. Remember the people knew that David had sinned with Bathsheba. Well, David showed us three things. First, he showed us that God is our shield. Not only does he cover us from the front, but he covers us from the back. God protects us. He doesn't leave a part of us unprotected. He covers all of us. When we're in a difficult situation, cry out to God to protect you and then let him do that. And the second thing that we saw was that God sustains us. David was able to lay his head down and sleep in spite of all the stress, in spite that he thought he might die. God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And he also gives us through that peace the rest we need. And because of that, David wasn't afraid of the thousand. God sustained him and he took away the fear. Our fear, our worry can only make things worse. It makes the problem seem bigger and bigger. Give it to God. Let him clear your mind. And then the final thing that we learn from Psalms 3 is that God defends us. We don't have to worry about protecting ourselves. God does it for us. It's a lot easier to focus on what we need to do when we don't have to worry about protecting ourselves. There will always be people that are going to point out what we've done wrong, and they're going to say, that's the reason why you're in this mess. 
While that may be true, we don't have to dwell on that. Repent on what you've done. Give it to God. Say, I'm sorry, and turn from it, and then move on. My final question for you today is, do you know who God is? Do you understand how big God is? Can you give it to God? Can you let him give you some rest? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we all will one day walk through a trial. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when when we're going to go through this trial. When we're going to face something that seems so big that we have no way to handle it. It will worry us. It will give us fear. We will look at it and we will think, I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do. But David teaches us today through your inspiration that we can give it to you. That we can walk through that fear with a peace that passes all understanding. In Romans, Paul tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? When we have you on our side, you are our protector. You are our shield. You are about us. Lord, right now, I feel like you're knocking on a heart. Lord, you're telling someone, give it to me. You don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to stay up at night worrying. Give it to me. Let me carry your yoke. Let me carry that burden. Give it to me. Don't put it at my feet and then take it back. Give it to me once and for all. That way tomorrow when you get up refreshed and restored, you'll have a clear mind to go take on what you need to take on. Maybe there's one that doesn't understand giving it to you at all. Maybe today they've not understood or they never asked you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that if they were to die today, that they would go to hell. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would say, Lord, I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. I ask you to come into my life and be Lord of my life. And I'm going to turn from the ways that I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to follow after your commandments. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're going to give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.